What if we were created to be at peace both within ourselves and with one another? What if we're given the capacity and the opportunity to learn to be wise and understanding people? What if through practice, cooperation, and openness to whoever would help us, we'd actually learn to be at peace in how we loved ourselves and one another? What if, on the other hand, being angry, tired, lonely, and bored was somehow what was not intended in our lives, that they're intruders in our life. You see, if you believe that you're made for peace, wisdom, and love of others, you're looking at the image of the human person as uh, made present in Christ, who Christ is. And if you want to be that, then you have to imitate Christ. You have to love Christ above all things because the truth about being a human being is what you love it will, in the end, define you. You know, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, a saint, St. Saint Teresa of Calcutta, uh, she talked about these very things. And, but she talked about it in a way that was just made present in the choices that she made in her life. You know, she loved her neighbors in some pretty desperate situations. And so once she was asked why she was not more active in the international uh, movements that were opposing war and conflict, and this is what she said. I was once asked why I don't participate in anti-war demonstrations. I said that I will never do that. But as soon as you have a pro-peace rally, I'll be there. You see, her ultimate aim was not to be against things, but for the love of God and those things that God loved. So if you take that wisdom that we're not against stuff, but we're for God and the love of neighbor, then we're not against the Ku Klux Klan and racists, but we are for love of neighbor. And so we cannot walk down the road with the Klan. We cannot um, be at peace with what racism proclaims. But you're always trying to get those people to see the light of Christ. So we're not against abortionists, but we are for the life of every single born and unborn American. You can go around and try to stomp out every single fire, but that does not create peace and wisdom and love of neighbors. It just waits for the next fire to light up. And so, we have to get the world to learn to love the right things. That's why we proclaim Christ, because the secret of the gospel is the secret of love. And it's a human secret. What you love best defines you. You know, we're celebrating the 4th of July uh, this weekend. And so uh, you'll remember that on July 4, 1776, the Second Continental Congress uh, all signed the Declaration of Independence. And it began this way. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, we don't support the Klan or Planned Parenthood, but we do love and support human beings, even though we're at fundamental odds with over some tremendously important human concerns. What it means is, is we keep addressing 
what undermines human happiness, but we have to do it in a way that's consistent with who we love, and that's Jesus and his Father. Because we're made for love, not anger, weariness, loneliness, and boredom. We're meant to build community, not burn it down. Our lives are fruitful and happier if we understand that our basic orientation in life is to love who and what Christ loved, for we are yoked side by side to him. This is Father John Arnold, and this is Oral Valley Catholic. In Matthew's Gospel for the 14th Sunday of Ordinary Times, he's instructing uh, his disciples of what it means to be a disciple and how it is they're supposed to live this life uh, that he is, he is taught. So there's two parts of this Gospel that I want to draw attention to. The first is, is that Jesus is giving us an example of prayer. He's doing it by showing us how it is that he prays in his life. So he prays aloud in front of the disciples. You know, there's only a few examples of Jesus and how he prayed to the Father. Uh, the one that's most Catholics would immediately remember is he taught us the Lord's Prayer. Uh, he calls God his Father. He honors God's name. Um, but you also remember that he prayed aloud in the Garden of Gethsemane when you gotta hear about his vulnerability, his fear, his, his own personal desire to avoid the cross. Um, but in the midst of all of it, this tremendous courage uh, to accept what it is that, the God, that God himself willed. Or in John chapter 17, all the gospels talk about Jesus's prayer life, but it's the priestly prayer where Jesus uh, praises God the Father in, in the 17th chapter of John. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son so that your Son may glorify you. Because Jesus is the glory of the Father. And Jesus' life is to give glory to the Father. And so today in Matthew's Gospel, we have another example of prayer. And so here's how Jesus prayer. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to babes. Remember, he's following up on discipleship. But what's this hidden thing that he's talking about in his prayer? Well, the hiddenness of it all is Jesus' relationship to God the Father, that he's something more than just a human being. This is where we get our understanding of Jesus as a member of the Trinity, that God is one God uh, in fundamental relationship within the nature of God. Jesus is not in his deepest essence like Moses, Elijah, David, or one of the prophets. Jesus is in a completely different category. Jesus is the Son of the Father. He's divine. Only the Father knows him like that. And those to whom the Father wishes to reveal this hiddenness. There's another story in Matthew in chapter 16, verses 13 to 18, which is always well remembered, but it's really, again, about this hidden reality of who Jesus is. So Jesus asks his disciples in, in chapter 16, so who do men say that the Son of Man is? And you remember the disciples say, 
Uh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. What do all those have in common? Well, remember, they're all dead. And so they get that he's supernatural, that there's something other going on here than just uh, business as usual. But Jesus is something more than just a supernatural phenomenon. And then the story continues. Then Jesus turned to them and said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But from all eternity, you see, God is Father, Jesus is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. That is not just what God does. This is the hiddenness of God revealed in the person of Christ. So why is that important? Because grace is something more than just merely the supernatural. To be understanding this teaching is something more than just thinking that God waves his fingers and things happen. We're gonna talk about that in the second part of the gospel. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden light. Because it's in the light of this hidden secretness of who uh, God is. If Jesus is joined to the Father, and this has been revealed, what happens when you're joined to the Son? You see, Jesus is leading us through an imaginative understanding that says God and us are separate categories that come together in the person of Jesus, in the sacraments and in grace. This is the secret of what it means to bear Jesus' yoke. By the way, if your kids are listening, you could take the time to explain to them that Jesus isn't talking about egg yolks. Uh, no, tell them that a yoke is a wooden collar that fits over the necks of oxen so that they could pull a plow. Generally, it's made for two oxen so that when Jesus talks about the yoke he bears, hey, there's room there for both all of us, right? Because the yoke is to pull with Jesus this is not something he's asking us to do alone. Jesus is telling us that he'll share his yoke with us. So what is easy and light about carrying the, the yoke of Jesus? Um, because think about it. Jesus didn't stop racism or abortion or any other evil facing humanity. He was gentle, humble, and meek with people. You know, he took the fundamental evil of life on when he died on the cross. Because ultimately, at the heart of it is the presence of death in all of these things that we suffer through during this time of uh, pandemic. And so, approaching life like Jesus approaches life and uh, human evil is really the example for us. How would Jesus conquer races? What, would he kill them all? Like, well, the time of Noah, where he wipes them all out with a flood? What's Jesus going to do about abortion? He doesn't want you to kill people, so he'll kill anybody that does it? This does not seem the logic of God, so it can't be our logic either. And so when we think of the yoke, it's Jesus's example of, of how it is that he lives in life and how he deals with evil. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew again, chapter 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, the great uh, idea of the Roman Empire was the libido dominandi, the lust to dominate. You're going to mess with me, I am going to break your skull. 
that is not Jesus. That's why it's to be for peace, not just against war. You have to be for what God loves. So this whole teaching about the yoke, this isn't something new. This is God revealed in the Old Testament also. Do you remember that there's a part of the Old Testament that the Protestant reformers kicked out in in uh, Bibles for Protestants is called the Apocrypha. We Catholics just call it the Bible, the Old Testament. Why? Well, because Jesus used these books. The early church used these books. This is the scriptures as Jesus in the early church knew them. And so in one of the books that the Protestant reformers kicked out of uh, the inspired word of God, but as in fact inspired, and that's why it's in the Catholic Bible, is uh, the book of Sirach. And here's what it says in chapter 51, verses 25 to 27 of Sirach. I open my mouth and speak of her. Gain wisdom for yourselves at no cost. Take her yoke upon your neck that your mind may receive her teaching. For she is close to those who seek her and the one who is in earnest finds her. See for yourselves. I have labored only a little, but have found much. So. That's where my yoke is easy, my burden light. Listen to the wisdom of Jesus. Live life as Jesus lives life. Walk through life with Jesus. You see, that is where our peace comes from. That's where we're on solid ground. You know, when you think of the yoke of, uh, of, um, of Jesus, it's the image of Simon of Cyrene who helps Jesus carry the cross. Or it's last week where Jesus counseled his disciples, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. This idea of bearing what Jesus bears, and it's bearing with the evil of the world as we teach the love of God. The theme of God's humility is also in the first reading from Zechariah. Uh, do you remember it? It was uh, the first reading for this Sunday. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious he is, humble and riding on an ass, on a colt the foal of an ass. Jesus does not enter Jerusalem like a Roman conqueror. He's not riding on the back of an elephant. Just on this simple animal, just like Zechariah foretold. Jesus you remember, did not trust the proclamation of his gospel to the high priests and leaders of Israel. He gave it to fishermen, zealots, Pharisees like St. Paul, and tax collectors like St. Matthew. He entrusted it to people like us. Jesus doesn't ask his followers to carry the cross by themselves. He will be there with them every step of the way. We can't carry the yoke without his help. But how does carrying the yoke help us? How does it change us? Here's what St. Thomas Aquinas thought. I wanted to take some time and talk to you about how St. Thomas Aquinas, the great theologian, thought about the yoke of Christ in fact, it's the reading for priests when we celebrate the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas 
on January 28. You know, I don't think Thomas Aquinas would think that this pandemic will change everything. I mean, he lived in a Europe that had the Black Death, for heaven's sake, was at a constant war uh, with a much more powerful culture in Islam and very aggressive uh, war makers, the Muslims. Uh, friends, um, war, conflict, no number of pandemics will ever change human nature. Uh, you see, I can choose to bear the weightiness of me through life, or I can bear the yoke of Christ. How I think, how I um, decide to react to the inadequacies of life, to the suffering of life, to the evil of life, these are just givens. Um, my human nature is what it is. I can choose to follow Christ or I can choose all these other little cul-de-sacs that will never go anywhere. Christ is the one way out. And bearing his yoke is how it is that we uh, follow him and cooperate with his grace. Uh, the yoke of Christ is the only thing that can ever change a human being. How does carrying Jesus' yoke help us to escape being sucked into the darkness of constant agitation, fussing and anger, all these dead ends? The cross exemplifies every virtue and teaches us all we have to know about Christian discipleship, Thomas Aquinas said. You see, carrying the cross, carrying Jesus' yoke, is the art of being truly ourselves. We have to think about we do this because this is really who we are, where we get out of the burden of carrying ourselves. We take something much lighter and easier to bear, to bear, to bear. You see, we quit bearing the lonely, tired, angry, bored self, but we bear the Christ within us from baptism. St. Thomas Aquinas taught us how it is that we bear the yoke of Christ. He wrote, and this is about the cross, and this, like I said, is in the breviary. Why did the Son of God have to suffer for us? There was a great need, and it can be considered in a twofold way, Aquinas said. In the first place, as a remedy for sin, and in the second place, as an example of how to act. So first, the cross as a remedy for sin. The cross is a remedy for sin in the face of all evils which we incur on account of our sins and the sins of others. We find relief through the passion of Christ who bore all of these things. Yet it is no less an example for the passion of Christ completely suffices to fashion our lives. Whoever wishes to live perfectly should do nothing but disdain what Christ disdained on the cross and desire what he desired on the cross. For the cross exemplifies every, every virtue. And so the second part of his meditation, the cross. How is it an example of how to act? How does the cross show us what a real life of virtue looks like. And here's what Aquinas said. If you seek the example of love, remember, greater love than this no man has than to lay down his life for his friends. Such a man was Christ on the cross, and he gave his life for us. And it should not be difficult to bear whatever hardships arise for his sakes. And so then he wants to talk about patience, humility, obedience, and putting life into perspective, learning to just despise earthly things that they are not of ultimate value in our life. So here's how he says it. First, patience. 
If you seek patience, you will find no better example than the cross. Great patience occurs in two ways, either when one patiently suffers much or when one suffers things which one is able to avoid and yet does not avoid. Christ endured much on the cross, and he did so patiently because when he suffered, he did not threaten, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and he did not open his mouth. Therefore, Christ's patience on the cross was great. In patience, let us run for the prize set before us, looking upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for their joy set before him, bore his cross and despised the shame. Here's my editor's note on that. Why didn't Jesus talk to these people? They weren't going to listen anyway. All you really have at some point is your example and your silence. So patience. The second is humility. If you seek an example of humility, look upon the crucified one. For God wished to be judged by Pontius Pilate and to die. That's real humility, to just submit yourself to the way the world is. The third is about obedience. Here's what Aquinas said about obedience. If you seek an example of obedience, follow him who became obedient to the Father even unto death. For just as by the disobedience of one man, namely Adam, Many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one man, many were made righteous. So when you think about obedience, you have to think, like St. Francis de Sales said, that God knows more about making saints than we do. And so God allows the world to be like this. It doesn't mean you buy into racism or abortion, but it does mean you don't tear at other people. You're trying to lift them up. We try to save them by pointing them to what the truth is about what it means to be a human being. And so here's the fourth point, putting our lives into perspective. Here's how Aquinas said, putting all of this stuff into perspective. If you seek an example of despising earthly things, follow him who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Upon the cross he was stripped, mocked, spat upon, struck, crowned with thorns, and given only vinegar and gall to drink. Do not be attached, therefore, to clothing and riches, because they divided my garments amongst themselves, nor to honors, for experienced harsh words and scourgings, nor to greatness of rank, for weaving a crown of thorns they placed it on my head, nor to anything delightful, for in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Thomas Aquinas isn't saying that that's not good stuff. It's all good stuff. It's just none of it's God. And so when we have these things, they're not God. When we lose them, they're not God either. And so this sense of what he calls despising earthly things, what I said about putting our lives into perspective, it's being detached from all of the stuff we so take for granted. And in that sense, this pandemic has been a great school for Christians if you're willing to learn the right messages. Well, that's all powerful stuff. So what did Jesus love and what did he despise? He loved God and his will for him. He despised things, not people. He put whatever he had in the world in a proper perspective relative to his true love of God, which he makes present in how he prays and thanks God for letting him glorify God thanking God for revealing hidden things uh, to people. But remember, it's God that does the revealing. Human beings, uh, we're the ones who get us shut about. So 
what we love defines us and forms us. I love St. Brother Teresa, what she said, as soon as you have a pro-peace rally, I'll be there. She just fed on wherever love of God and the things that God, God loved were. We should look at what Jesus loved and what he despised and go and do likewise with the help of God's grace. That's what it means to bear the yoke of Christ. You know, our virtue will always be imperfect. Only Christ's virtue is perfect. That's why he bears the weight, why it's a good deal, why his yoke is easy and light. Wearing his yoke is easy and light because he bears the brunt of the weight of the world. He asks us only to take what we can handle. This has been Father John Arnold, and this has been another episode of Oro Valley Catholic. See you next week.